Well, this morning, if you'll open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24 and just hold there for a moment. We're going to get to that chapter uh, in a second. But uh, have you ever just done something that just, for lack of a better term, just a bonehead move? Uh, My history is rich with those moments. Uh, I just, I don't, sometimes I just don't apply just normal wisdom or thinking to things. Like, for example, um, we used to have a cheese cutter, a slicer at our home. You know those cheese slicers that have the wire that goes across and get, makes a nice evenly cut slice of cheese? We used to have one of those at, the, at our house until one day where I think we were having a little party and I had cheese and salami and I decided, well, this works really good with cheese. I wonder how well this would cut salami. Not well. It broke because it's not meant to cut salami. It's meant to cut cheese. Well, then that brings me to the next thing that I've done that's not the brightest move uh, in my life is this was on Christmas morning and we we're having family over later that day so we're getting ready in the morning and again we eat a lot of cheese and salami at our house apparently. Um, I've got a block of cheese of uh, Gouda cheese. How many of you love Gouda cheese? Oh my gosh I love Gouda cheese. I tell you, that makes the best grilled cheese sandwich, by the way. But we had a, a thing of cheese, and I'm, I'm cutting it, but cheese, it's kind of a soft cheese, and it's got that, that, um, that shell on it, right, that you got to trim off, because you don't want your guests to have to peel that off. So I'm cutting it, but I'm like, this is taking forever. So I decide to grab the block of cheese with the knife in my hand and to trim. You see where this is going? If you got a queasy stomach, hold on. Uh, I decided to trim the, 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 that skin off the cheese. And as I'm digging in, the knife slips and cuts my finger. And this is right out of Hollywood. There was a squirt of blood gone a distance I've never seen in my life. It just shot across the counter. And now I'm holding on to it. Now I'm like, I don't like to see blood. My blood, your blood, any blood. And so now I'm starting to feel woozy. And this thing is not blood. I've done some bonehead things in my life. We didn't have cheese, by the way. We threw out all that cheese that morning, which was a bummer. But sometimes we just don't think, right? We just don't apply wisdom, and we don't make the best decisions. Well, God's given us a remedy for that. See, Proverbs 24, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a distinct book, both in style and in content. Uh, the book of Proverbs is categorized as a wisdom book, and it reads a lot like poetry, It's a collection of truisms or sayings that come in brief refrains. You really can't read the book of Proverbs like maybe you read through uh, the Gospels or the Epistles because it's these segmented truths that you really need to just sit and chew on uh, to understand what's being spoken of. But the context of the book of Proverbs is practical wisdom for righteous living. It's practical wisdom. It's wisdom given to you so that you can live a righteous lifestyle. See, the goal of studying this book is to increase our wisdom for everyday life as it addresses every aspect and every relationship in our life. See, being wise is a key ingredient to being a Christian. And one of the key words found throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll see this word repeated over and over and over, is wisdom or wise. And that word wisdom comes from a Hebrew word that means skill. And in context, it means having the skill in in the art of godly living. That's what the book of Proverbs wants to do for you. It wants to give you a skill in order to live a godly life. 
And so this book is filled with truths to help you become skilled in the art of godliness. And this makes Proverbs one of the most important books that you and I can read in the Bible. Amen? Because we want to be wise. We want to know how to live a righteous life. You know, the Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. See, obtaining wisdom leads to knowing God better. If you want to know God better, you need to dive into a book like Proverbs that's meant to give you wisdom so that you can know God. See, it was said of Jesus in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, that he was a man full of wisdom. He gave his life to knowing God and knowing God's word as a man on this earth. You know, we all began a relationship with God without any experience, right? We all ask God into our life at some point and we begin to follow him and we have no previous experience. We don't know what this means or how to do this. So this means that righteous living requires training. And so God has given you his Bible. He's given you the Bible and he's given you the Holy Spirit in order to help you become proficient in following him. And so it's vital to your faith and to my faith in pursuing God that we commit to studying the Bible regularly and that we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. See, 2 Timothy, Paul warns us of a time that's coming. He says, but the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. See, we need to be people who know God's word so that we can spot error as soon as we hear it. We need, we need to know God's word because if we're not careful, we can be under teaching that leads us astray from knowing God and following God. Now, the book of Proverbs refers to three types of people commonly throughout its 31 chapters. Uh, the wise, uh, that's what we all want to be. Uh, the foolish and the simple the wise is someone who takes God's wisdom and applies it to their life. Uh, they're not perfect. The wise aren't perfect people, but they are uh, people who are constantly in pursuit of God. The foolish are people who uh, hear God's word, but they reject it. They don't want anything to do with him or his wisdom. And the simple are the uncommitted. They walk the fence in life. Uh, they're not completely surrendered to foolish living, but they're not sold on being committed to God. They kind of waver and go back and forth, and, and they're not committed to either way of life. The Proverbs mentions these three groups of people continuously. And there are also three other identifiers that support uh, those terms or those three people, uh, such as righteous, wicked, evildoers, uh, lazy, and so on. You'll read this throughout the entire book of Proverbs. But as I mentioned, the book of Proverbs is, is digested in small, bite-sized truths to equip you to understand who God is and to know him. See, our text this morning is a part of 30 sayings of the wise, which span over chapters 22 through chapters 24. So let's dig in this morning. Uh, let's read chapter 24, verse 13 through 20. And it says this, My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that the wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future. And your hope will not be cut off. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. 
For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers, and do not be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you this morning that it's timeless truth still apply to us today, that it's a roadmap for us to follow you, to know you, and to understand you, and to help us live righteous and godly lives. I pray this morning, God, that we'll hear your voice speak to us. I pray this morning that my words would fall to the ground, but that your words would penetrate our heart and our spirit today, that we can leave here, God, walking closer and more committed and more faithful to you. God, thank you this morning for being here with us. Send now the spirit of truth to give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the, the book of Proverbs reads like poetry. As you notice, it, sent, it almost looks like it jumps from subject or subject, uh, topic to topic. And it uses a lot of illustration to convey meaning. You know the old saying that uh, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, the Proverbs get that. And so they use a lot of pictures to save you on reading a lot of words. Instead of using two or three verses to explain something, the writer of Proverbs uh, here in our text this morning uses the illustration of honey uh, to equate it uh, to the nature of wisdom. I wonder this morning, how many people here like honey? You're like, I love honey, put honey on my toast, honey on anything that I can spread it on. I'm just a honey. Now, how many of you don't like honey? Like you're absolutely, I've tried it, hate it, don't want anything to do with it. Well, you're some of the foolish people this morning. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So what you need to do this morning is you need to find something that you crave, something that you really enjoy, something that's sweet to your taste, and maybe uh, replace that with honey today because you may tune out the rest of what Proverbs has to say this morning. But as you make that, tra that uh, transition, that translation between the honey and what you crave and like, listen, though, to what the honey represents because there's a lot of uh, important truths behind uh, the illustration of honey. See, during this time when this passage was written, honey was a highly desirable ingredient in a Middle Eastern cuisine. Honey not only served as something sweet to eat and pleasing to the palate, but it also had medicinal values. Uh, ancient Egyptians used honey as embalming fluid. That was some sweet people, huh? Uh, they also used it for dressing wounds. If you had a wound, they would uh, apply honey to that and address it to that, uh, to that wound. And today, we know that honey is, it has anti-inflammation properties. Uh, honey, how interesting is this, can be used as a cough suppressant. Those of you who are coughing this morning, take some honey. See, now you got reason to pack honey in your purse or in your pocket this morning because honey acts as a cough suppressant. Um, modern science tells us this, that honey can be used to treat acid reflux. If you're battling acid reflux, take a spoonful of honey and keep the doctor away. Honey can be used to fight infections. And when eating honey that's locally harvested, it can help you with your seasonal allergies. You have seasonal allergies? 
find someone who makes uh, honey in this area and it can help uh, develop your immunity to those allergies. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. So when Proverbs says that honey is like wisdom, what he is saying is when we pursue wisdom, there's a myriad of benefits that come with it. Not only is it sweet and enjoyable to our palate, but it has some value to it that goes beyond that. See, the benefits of wisdom far outweigh any price you have to pay to obtain it. Any cost uh, involved in you pursuing and denying yourself to obtain wisdom is worth it when you look at what it gives you. Now in verse 14 of our text, it says this, if we find wisdom. See, there are two promises that are attached to the idea if, if we find uh, wisdom. That word if, as you know in the English language, is a conditional clause. In other words, these promises aren't automatic just because you read them or just because you accept them. It requires something on your behalf in order to experience it. So the first promise that Proverbs 14 tells us, or 24, 14, is that if you find it, there will be a future. If you find it, there will be a future. That word future refers to latter days or uh, a latter time to come. It, It conveys this meaning that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. How many of you want your better days in front of you and not behind you? How many people want to say, you know what, yeah, yesterday, last week, last month, last century was good, but boy, I want better days in front of me. See, if that's what you want, then you need to pursue wisdom. Because if you find it, there will be a future. Your best days will be ahead of you. And know that that word find in our text means to obtain, uh, to acquire, uh, to secure it. You've got to go after it. And you've got to learn it and live it. You've got to find it, and then you've got to live it out in your life. See, the promise of better days is contingent on your pursuit and your acquisition of wisdom. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to read it, but it's got to be a part of your life. You've got to flesh it out. You've got to live it. So there'll be a future if you find it. The second promise is your hope will not be cut off. You know, the church needs to be the center, needs to be the source of hope in this world. We need to be the most hopeful, positive, inspiring people around. You know, Pastor Matthew Barnett of the Dream Center uh, said this, uh, Christians need to be hope dealers. We need to go around dealing hope to people, giving people hope that where they're at is not where they have to be, that there's something better for them beyond where they are in life. You see, hope is a powerful motivator. When you're all out of strength, when you've done all that you think you can do, if there's a little bit of hope, you can go a little farther, right? Boy, hope is something that will carry you when you're done moving forward. And when our strength is fleeting, hope can keep us going. But when hope is gone, we're done. It doesn't matter how much strength or gas we have in the tank. If we're on empty with hope, we're finished. See, that phrase, cut off, means to eliminate or destroy. Acquiring wisdom will cultivate an endless supply of hope that cannot be destroyed. 
See, when you pursue wisdom, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. It doesn't matter how big the mountain, the obstacle, the difficulty you're facing. Uh, uh, Pursuing wisdom will give you hope to continue and to overcome whatever it is in front of you. It allows you to remember or to know that your best days are before you. Now, in the next statement, wisdom statement from Proverbs, he, he makes the case that our actions reveal who we are, not our words. It's not what we say about ourselves or what we write about ourselves, but what we do reveals who we are. See, our words are how we want people to see us, but our actions reveal who we really are. See, when our words and our actions don't align, we call someone a hypocrite because what they say and what they do aren't the same thing. So you and I are not separated by our actions Our character and our nature are revealed by our actions. Look what Luke says in chapter 6 of the gospel. He says, The good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. See, if your actions are evil, then there's something inside you that needs to be changed and cleansed because what we see about you is what is in you. Likewise, if there's good in you, good will come out of you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, uh, for from it flow the springs of life. So we need to protect our heart. We need to protect what we allow into us because what we do is a representation of who we are. And in uh, chapter 24 of Proverbs, the evildoer, we learn, he plots to take what others have. Uh, He waits for an opportunity to attack someone when they're least expecting it. And this is a dangerous attitude for us to develop because coveting and desires what others have creates a toxic attitude that will uh, distort your perspective of what's right and what's wrong. See, it'll cause us to justify our actions of taking things that don't belong to us when uh, we have a spirit of coveting or desiring what others have. James, which is the New Testament equivalent of the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 3 says this, "For uh, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Wherever uh, there is jealousy, wherever there's selfish ambition, there will be disorder. See, as we will see at the end of our text, the the gains obtained through evil plotting will always be short-lived. Anything you take, you'll end up always losing. Now, notice that as Proverbs equates the, the person who plots and does evil with a righteous person, notice what it says about the righteous person. See, He isn't perfect either because he's described as someone who falls. In fact, not just falling, but in in the Proverbs, that word falling has a variety of implications, which include morally and sinfully. So he's describing a righteous person, but who falls morally or spiritually. But not just once. He doesn't fall just twice. He doesn't fall just three times. It's says seven times he falls. A righteous person falls seven times morally or sinfully, yet he's described as righteous. See, that word seven 
in the, new t- in the Bible is a number of completeness. And really what that word renders is he falls very many times, multiple times. He continuously falls. But the distinguishing mark between the righteous and the evil plotter is that the righteous get back up. And that idea of getting back up is repentance. Like he recognizes what he does is wrong. He recognizes that his choices uh, were, were bad. And, and so he gets back up with a determination to change his behavior, to change how he's living. And so it's not that his actions are perfect. It's not that he never uh, does anything wrong, but that he's quick and he's sensitive uh, to conviction and to changing his ways. So he doesn't want to stay the way he is. He doesn't want to stay the same. He doesn't want to be defined by that moment or by that failure. And so he's determined to get back up. See, the righteous learn from their mistakes. They identify their triggers and weaknesses and they become self-aware. They're alert to what causes them to fall. And so know as we talk about your actions defining who you are, even when you fall, even when you come up short, it's that heart to say, I I don't want to do this. I repent and I I learn from my mistakes versus someone who premeditates their evil and their actions. Now the next set of wisdom truths that we find in our text is about our, our response to when our enemies fall. See, it's in our carnal nature that when we see our enemy fall, we want to celebrate that, right? Right? When the, when the person that's been bothering us, uh, everything in their life falls apart, we're like, yeah, they had it coming. Like, we might not say it, but we're definitely feeling that in our heart. And Proverbs says, listen, that's not the way you and I are supposed to act as followers of God. We're not to celebrate when our, even our enemies fail. See, we say things like, oh, they had that coming. Oh, they had that coming. That's our way of celebrating. Or we'll say things like, well, they got what they deserved. Hmm. They got what they deserved and it was coming to them. Or we look at what, they, uh, what happens to them and we, we say, well, it's about time they got a taste of their own medicine. See, these are all statements of gloating when our enemies fall, when our enemies uh, hit rock bottom. See, it's not that Proverbs is suggesting the guilty shouldn't be punished or shouldn't experience consequences, but that godly men and women don't celebrate others' failures. See, when people stray so far from God that they become a degradation to humanity, that should cause us to feel compassion and pity on them and pray for them. When we see our enemies fail, we shouldn't celebrate. Our hearts should be broken that they don't know better and they're experiencing this hardship and pray that God would open up their eyes to see that there's a better way. See, God can rescue the worst of sinners. Some of those were you one time. It was me at one time. See, when we gloat over their demise, what we're doing is we're removing hope out of the equation. We're removing any chance for them to repent and to turn around. And what Proverbs says is when that happens, you cause God to take his uh, judgment off of that person and to turn it to you. That's not a great place to be. 
and I love having kids because they make great illustrations in sermons, which I think is God's gift to pastors. But my boys, uh, and I've got three boys. How many have at least one boy, but you, or maybe two boys? How many get two boys? So you know life is a continuously, continuous wrestling match, right? You get that there's always action and activity going on in the house. And there are times where I can hear my boys arguing. And so I go, I'm like, what's the problem? And like, well, this person uh, did this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. But then the truth comes out that in response to person A's complaint, person B retaliated. Now I take my anger off of child one. I go to child two and say, why did you do that? You didn't like what they did, but you did even more or worse than them. And so I take my focus off of them, and now I've got to discipline them. And you know what happens more times than not? That child gets off scot-free. Because now I'm upset because he knew better. This one did it as an impulse, but this one premeditated his retaliation. And God says, i got to do the same with you. Because I don't want you to begin to repeat those same mistakes. So I'm for a moment going to take my attention away from them. And now I'm going to correct you. Now I'm going to bring a rebuke to you so that you don't walk down this path continually. I need you to see that your actions were no better or maybe even worse than what their actions are. And so I'm going to correct you on that. See, don't gloat when your enemies fall. When you see uh, someone you don't like struggling, but pray that God will rescue them and use that moment to open their eyes. That's a good time for an amen. Thank you. Now, verse 19 and 20 are a reminder, or is a reminder that we need to be continually reminded of because we could fall into, into this practice regularly. He says in verse 19, fret not, yourself because of evildoers and do not be envious of the wicked. Have you ever looked at someone, and we've talked about this periodically, but someone who isn't serving God and, and they don't even try to do what's right in life and then you see them prosper and get frustrated? Like they get the promotions, they seem to win the lottery every time there's money to be won. I mean, have you ever seen that? And it gets you frustrated because you're trying to be moral, you're trying to be upright, you're trying to be a good human being, a godly man or woman, and they seem to prosper and you don't, and it's frustrating. Have you ever felt like that? Come on, moment of honesty this morning. Thank you for you saints here today. I feel that way. Maybe it's an unbelieving co-worker who's dishonest and you know they are you know they're ripping off the company and they apply for the same promotion that you apply for and they get it doesn't that make you mad doesn't that frustrate you how could they get the promotion when they're liars and they're cheaters and you're doing everything by the book you clock in and start working and then you work all the way up to the last minute of the day clock out and go and they're cutting corners all day long and they get promoted and you don't that's frustrating or maybe you're a student, you see a student in class cheat on a test, and they get away with it. And then the teacher praises them on how great their test scores were that day. And you're like, I saw them cheating. And now they're being praised for doing so well. See, when you look at unbelievers enviously, you may start to question if following God is worth it. 
when you see the wicked and those who aren't serving God, who aren't even trying to be good people, prosper and advance, you may begin to question the value of your faith. You may even begin to wonder, who's God really blessing? If they're prospering and I'm serving God, but I don't look like I am or feel like I am, who's really being blessed? See, Proverbs gives us strict instruction about not to fret when the unbeliever prospers because they have no future. Their prospering will be short-lived. You know, that word fret not, that phrase fret not comes from a Hebrew word that means to burn, uh, to be angry. It's, it's the imagery of stewing in that frustration. Boy, you go to work and you're just mad be- and you put on a fake smile on your face, but you're just upset because they got that promotion or you see people uh, att- look like they're getting blessed and you're not and you're just stewing in that. Why not me, God? When's my blessing coming? When's my turn? And it just makes you stew in that. The Bible says, don't do that. Don't, don't allow yourself to stew in those emotions, in that anger. See, when you do, you forfeit your joy. You forfeit your peace. That joy and peace that comes with knowing God, which they don't. And you give it up when you direct your attention to the acts of those who've rejected God. See, God warns that eventually their lamp is going to be put out means their life is going to come to an end. He warns that they're not to be envied because they have no legacy. They have nothing to look forward to in the next life because they've chosen to reject God in this life. So don't envy them when they look like they're prospering because their end is coming and your beginning is just about to happen. See, those who do wrong are not to be envied Because you and I are not living for this life, but we're living for eternal life. We're living for a life yet to come and for treasures that cannot be taken or stolen. See, righteous living may take more effort and discipline, but it's worth the reward. It may take more work and more discipline in your half to be righteous, compared to those who aren't, but there's a greater reward in store for you. See, anger is always easier. Envying is always easier. Coveting is always easier. But Proverbs warns that that will be ended abruptly. See, that's why in Matthew chapter 6, we're told to store up our treasures in heaven. It even goes so far to say where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. That's the thing that motivates you in the morning. That's the thing that keeps you going throughout the day is where your heart is. And so the Bible warns us about storing our treasures in heaven. Because Matthew also reminds us that your treasures here will be stolen or they'll break. Don't store up your treasures here on earth because things are constantly changing. But in heaven, things are only increasing. They're only getting better. See, when you're striving to live righteously and it looks like others are getting ahead, remember with every act of righteousness and discipline, every act of godliness, you are filling up a storage place in heaven with your blessing and with your treasures. So don't worry if you don't see it in the immediate because you're gonna see it in the eternal. 
See, as a Christian, transformation it takes place by renewing our mind, as it says in Romans chapter 12. And as a Christian, you and I are called to live and to think differently. And that's what Proverbs is. It's a book that helps you and I to think so that we can live differently. See, our old ways and the patterns of thinking must conform to God's ways and God's thinkings so that we can enjoy all of his favor, all of his blessings, all of the benefits that come with knowing him in this life, but also in the next life. So before we close this morning in prayer, I want to invite you, starting tomorrow morning, to join me going through the entire book of Proverbs once a day, or one chapter a day. So not the whole book in one day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and let's go on a journey together and study this book so that we can increase our wisdom. So how many of you have the YouVersion app on your Bible? You have it on your laptop? All right. So go search me, Mike Todd. My little small picture is me with a, a jacket and hood on with glasses. I look like a Jedi. Uh, someone snapped a candid picture of me when we were in Israel uh, and sent it to me. And so that's my profile picture. So if you see this guy that has a hood on, dark glasses, it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator. It's me. Um, and friend me. And then once you friend me, tomorrow morning, I'm going to send you a request and let's go through it together. Because there's a way for us to not only study the book, but then leave comments so that the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, uh, Proverbs 27, we can sharpen one another. We can encourage one another. So if you don't have the app, you can sign up for free. You can go online or use your smartphone or tablet. Um, but let's become friends uh, on, on the uh, version as well as in real life. And let's go to this book together. Amen. I mean, okay, we're going to receive our missions offering. It's the third Sunday of the month uh, in just a second. But let me pray uh, just real quick for you, and then I'll have our ushers come forward. God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, God, because by the world's standards, some of us don't have a lot of ranking. Some of us this morning feel like we come up short when we compare ourselves to others. But God, you've given us your, your word, the Bible, and you've given us the Holy Spirit that we may increase in wisdom and in stature. That although we may be considered uneducated by the world's standards, we can have a wisdom that will guide us, that will lead us, that will enhance our relationship with you, and that will help us live righteously and godly in every relationship and every encounter and experience. And so God, I pray, help us to become students of your word, to not only read your word, not only hear your word, but to be doers of your word, that we may be transformed by having our mind renewed and by having your word implanted inside of our spirit. So God, I thank you this morning for giving us your word Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, who gives us understanding so that we can be godly men and women. In Jesus' name, amen.